and welcome to the Yarn Thing Podcast with Marley Bird. I'm your host, Marley Bird. You can catch the Yarn Thing Podcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock Mountain Time. That's 12 o'clock on the East Coast, 9 o'clock on the West Coast, and 11 o'clock in the Midwest. If you are anywhere else in the world and would like to join us live for the broadcast over on YouTube, please Google what time 10 o'clock Mountain Time is for you. We would love to have you join us over there. If you want to be sure to get us live, make sure you hit subscribe on the Marley Bird YouTube channel and click that little notification bell and you will be notified as soon as I go live on air. This is a friendly reminder that this Yarn Thing podcast is primarily a video podcast. I will do everything I can to capture the audio from those video shows and upload them over here to Blog Talk Radio. But if you want to be sure that you are catching every episode every time, join me over on YouTube. Okay, let's go ahead and jump in with today's show. All right, so why don't we jump in with today's guest and say hello to my friend Megan Kreiner, who is a wonderful knitting and crochet designer, and she has like one of the coolest jobs in all the world, and uh, I can't wait to have um, all of you meet her and uh, get to know her a little bit better. So let's welcome Megan to the podcast. Hey, Megan. Hi. <laughs> I am so happy you're joining me on the show again. This is like like the third or fourth. I think it's like the fourth time you've been on the show. And it's just so much fun talking to you. I always get geeked out. Um, and so thanks for joining me again today. Absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan, why don't we, I mean, because there are people who are just stumbling on the podcast for the first time, which is crazy. You know, they probably didn't know that there was an audio podcast out there. I want them to get to know you a little bit better. So why don't we give them a brief history of, you know, of you? Are you a knitter? Are you a crocheter? Obviously, you're both. But, you know, how did you get started? How did you jump into this world of designing? Oh, gee. Um, well, uh, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. Like most of, so I have about eight books out there right now. Um, and they're all crocheted, but the funny thing is I, I still like almost consider myself a knitter that just happens to be crocheting it off. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. Um, but I, um, I'm almost a little embarrassed about how I kind of stumbled into it because it, it shouldn't have gone as smoothly as my scenario went. I, I literally, put a box of a couple of toys together. Like these were literally like the third or fourth or fifth toys I had ever made as original designs. I put them in a box. Um, and I, um, having owned a few books from Martingale and knowing that they published books that were similar to the toys that I had created, um, I took advantage of their open submission policy. Um, and you can kind of find that information out on publisher websites, depending on where you go, you can kind of hunt around for it. Uh, the ones that have open submission policies, uh, offer you an opportunity to submit your materials to them for consideration and publication. And it's, it's almost akin to like pitching a, a film idea or an, like any sort of book idea where you're trying to appeal to a niche audience that hasn't been fully tapped yet. So when I submitted my materials, I submitted uh, my zoo animals. And uh, when I submitted the, the uh, book information, I kind of talked about how they were modular, how they looked a little different from the other Amargurumi stuff that was out there, um, how it was supposed to be really simple for, you know, beginners to try out and that we were going to take advantage of, you know, kind of these tricks, these finishing techniques so that you could stick with really simple shapes, but then still get stuff that looked nice and polished and dare I say, like kind of complicated at the end by simply, you know, cinching things in certain places. So at any rate, this all went into the, um, the, the proposal along with the toys and I sent them over and like about three months later, 
I sent a follow-up email because they always get lots of stuff and it's very easy to assume that your stuff just hasn't gotten looked at or lost in the mail. And about like, I'm going to say two or three hours after I sent the follow-up email, they were like, oh, we opened the box and we love it. We'll totally do a book with you. And I was like, oh, I don't know, that was so hard. That was, that was fun. I don't know. <laughs> to get books and stuff like that so that was like literally my foray into it and it occurred to me I was like god um you know I, I follow other bloggers like Bakerella for example and I uh -huh. that she'd been blogging for years with all her amazing cake pop stuff before she developed this book so she had a following and people uh -huh. to, like market this book to and here I'm sitting like I should like put up a blog or something <laughs> something because I have like no one to market this to I am I know nobody so I did put up my website very soon after that, and I, I tried the blog thing, but honestly, it's 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 time consuming. It's a lot harder mm -hmm. than you think it's going to be because you have to do the photos and prep the graphics and stuff. So, I kind of very quickly abandoned that just for the Facebook page that I upkeep because I at least can update that a little more quickly. Like I can fit that into my day most of the time. Um, but after the 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 Chris uh, after the zoo animal book. I, uh, I also submitted ideas for the Bath Time Buddies book, and there was a farm book that came after that. And I started to kind of attend a few shows, uh, to sign a few, you know, to sign some books and whatnot. And it was at the shows that I had an opportunity then to kind of network out to other publishers. So I started talking to other people. Um, and the funny thing that I, I think I gained as many additional networking contacts doing that as I've gained by simply having people find me on Ravelry mm -hmm. or find me through other books I've done. So, for example, uh, Becker and Mayer, who owns the licensing rights for the Disney um, kits that I worked on, uh, I think they found me through Ravelry um, after finding my information in a book or something like that. Um, so on occasion, after you've, if you manage to establish yourself, sometimes people just reach out to you. Um, and that was also one of these funny things where I know people are like, how can I get Disney to give me their blessings so I can make crafts about, you know, about Disney characters? And I'm like, well, I don't know. They just like emailed me. <laughs> Again, I don't understand what the typical. <laughs> and I know this is like completely not how it's supposed to work at all. Um, but And I'm, I'm exceedingly grateful. And I know that it's been like an incredible amount of just like incredible coincidences and luck. Um, but I think in an industry like when I work in full time, a lot of it, I think your luck and your skill are more or less like 50-50 in terms of any opportunity you might get. Like there's plenty of people out there that have amazing skill and they just haven't hit, they haven't found that window. They haven't like been in the window at the right time. Um, and there's people that are in the window at the right time, but they just don't have, you know, the, the materials you know set up yet to, mm -hmm. to kind of put in the window. Right. <laughs> if you, so I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's luck and it's skill. I, I love it. And it's not only that you've just done books. I know that you've done a lot of stuff for different magazines and such. One of my good friends was the editor of Love of Crochet and Love of Knitting for years, Jen Burt. And I mean, I would go into her office to bring in my sweaters and she was like, look at this. And, she, and we would like be gushing all over your Amigurumi pieces. And here's my sweater just kind of tossed the side. I'm like, all right. No. We would just be like, this is the best thing ever. And she would keep them sitting on her desk. Like they were the thing. And I love it when I, when I look through magazines and I'll come to like some of the cutest characters or, and I'm just like, 
that's got to be Megan. I'm, yep, there it is right there. Um, when you started working with the publishers for books yeah. with Martingale, which is a fantastic company. I highly respect Martingale. Um, my first foray into giving them my open submission was a decline. But, you know, hey, that's all right. <laughs> uh, so I mean, they're just they're a wonderful company. But what made you decide to go ahead and be like, all right, well, maybe I'll try out some of these magazines, too. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, the, with the magazines, you're you're getting to do like one project. Books are, are a lot of work, obviously. You have to create a set, something that's going to cohesively work together. So, you know, there's a lot more things you need to do. You need to create a how-to section, which I think is one of these things where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to need to write like how to do all this. And you don't realize like that's a huge chunk of information and a, a great deal of planning onto itself. And you have to be, you know, and, and you sit there and you go like, well, how do I also say this so that I'm not like plagiarizing everybody else's description of this? How many ways can you say make a slip knot? Right. So you have to be you know, mindful of that too. And it gets even trickier when you start publishing through other people because then you realize like, well, I wrote this, but I wrote it for Martingale and now I'm writing this for Dover. So now how do I reword my own wording mm -hmm. so that I'm not repeating myself and plagiarizing myself? So how-to sections are one of these things where you kind of forget that's going to be in your your wheelhouse, if you will, that you have to be able to explain how you do this stuff. Um, and, you know, illustrations too, for the how-to sections of the, uh, of the projects, the assembly instructions and how you're going to manage that. Um, you know, when, when I, when I started working with magazines, I, I was delighted in the fact that I didn't have to write a how-to section and I could just basically do a project. So uh -huh. that was nice. Um, I think we went a little more um, adventurous um, the last uh, set that I had booked uh, with love of crochet and doing and love of knitting to do the uh, train set so that I had booked myself out uh, for all the magazines so I gave one piece of the train and my agreement was basically if I did it in crochet I had to do it in it yeah so every toy had to get translated um, which was also I think a good exercise because that's there there's some mathematical method to that but at the same time you know it you do have to break it down aesthetically because um you know, that you can you can kind of match it up for like two rows of stockinette for every one row, row of single crochet and you can kind of get something pretty close, but then there's, it starts getting taller. Yeah. <laughs> if you just do it verbatim. So there's some adjustments that need to be made, but I, I like that as an exercise. And I think it's the, the mathematical part of that I really like um, because I, when I was at Vogue Knitting, I, we went to um, a meeting with a, a class with Bristol Ivy and she had this really great thought about knitting and how it was this perfect amalgamation of like left right brain and right brain working together because it's basically visual math. Mm -hmm. You have this, this, you know, these patterns, these, these codes basically that you need to translate and, and spit out, you know, you're basically doing analog 3d printing based on these codes and you get these beautiful projects based on numbers and abbreviations and something that doesn't look you know, aesthetic or beautiful at all. And, and you get these amazing projects. So I love, I love that aspect of it. Cause that's what I kind of sit in all the time. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. So like math and I have never been really good friends. I actually cheated in math when I was in high school. And if I had known then that geometry would have been so important in my life, I wouldn't have cheated. But um, so I've had to relearn a lot of geometry. However, what I find interesting is so I have th I know you have kids. I have three kids and they're what the alternative math or whatever. And it's funny because two of my kids really excel with the alternative math method. Like they just it's like it clicks with 
with them. And the my other kid that he's like, I can't understand that. I you know I've got to look at it this way. What I where I'm getting with this is so I am not a math person, and I'm in this industry that is totally math, but I am like. I, what I think of is the alternative math. I'm such a visual side of the math thing that I can I can write patterns all day long in chart format and and whatnot. But when it comes to like sitting down and doing the actual math, I really struggle with it. So I thank God for like tech editors. I'm like, if I had you in high school, I would have aced everything. You know, like this would have been great. But geometry, calculus. I, I started losing the calculus because oh shoot, <laughs> I mean, so that made it harder for me. <laughs> yeah, pre calc and I like I had to retake pre calculus in college. Like, I was just like, I don't, I don't get what I'm doing. But anyways, um, what I love about knitting and crochet is that there's such an opportunity to, to, you know, to attack it in so many different ways. It's not just, it has to be the math like this. Now I can attack it in a different way, but now I have to present it still in this method, but that's why I have people help me do that. But it, it allows me to be able to do what I want to do. Now, having said that, I am not very good at three dimensional, um, character sort of stuff like what you do. Like I I've tried and I, it, it is a huge struggle for me. And so the first time I ever saw your stuff, I was like, wow, this lady is so good. And then I found out what you do for a living. I was like, well, of course she's so good. And she has the coolest job ever. So we need to tell people what you do, where you are right now. And I'm at work right now. I had to book a room. <laughs> I'm podcasting right now. Um, I am, oh, well, I, I am, I'm currently at DreamWorks Animation. This is, I'm, and I'm going to spin the computer so you guys can see this room. This is the, the CFX theater, our character effects theater. Uh, basically, that just means that this was a room that our character effects department took over and like decorated to look like, like this interesting, like steampunky theater. So we have like, you know, our, our screens for, for, uh, for our, our, our uh, dailies. And then there's a piano in here. I'm not sure why there's piano in here, but there's a piano in here. And I want to say that some guy named Steven Songheim was here banging away on it when we was working out some, it was, it was funny. We didn't know who it was. We, all we knew was that it was bothering us in our department and we were going to go over like, tell him just cut it out. And then they were like, no, you can't do that. He's like working out music for like a film that we ended up shelving, but it was, it's a very random place. To oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, we should probably leave them alone. Um, this is a room that we have dailies in sometimes, and that just means that we, we come here and we uh, review the work that we're working on, and uh, people give notes, and supervisors take a look. So wait, 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 wait. DreamWorks Animation. That means you're working on some really cool stuff. Do you want to tell people some of the things you are working on and have worked on? Sure. Um, I am currently working on How to Train Your Dragon 3. I'm animating on that. Um, <laughs> so cool. We're all we're looking forward to that. We're about an, a year out of that film right now. So we're kind of getting into our, our, our groove, if you will, um, getting that done. I just wrapped up on Troll's uh, holiday special, which uh, got released over the Christmas uh, holiday, obviously. And uh, we were really pleased. Everyone seemed to really enjoy that. Um, and I worked on some other films. I worked on How to Train Your Dragon 1 and 2, Kung Fu Panda 3, uh, Puss in Boots, uh, Turbo. Um, just trying to, like, off the top of my rallies off. Uh, Trolls! Yeah, you know, just a few. <laughs> just a few. Some of my kids' favorites. Some of those are like staples in my house. How to Train Your Dragon is a staple at my house. Everybody is watching that all the time. Like if we have a family night, it's one movie that we all can agree on to watch because it's just, we just love it. We just think it's so wonderful. And like I told you 
I watched Trolls for the first time coming home from Mexico in December and my my son Jojo and I loved it so much. We literally had like a dance party on the plane. We were like going crazy. <laughs> and my husband he was sitting in the seats next to you. Oh, I know. Well, my my daughter was next to my son. Or no, let's see. It was Jojo and then Caden. And then my daughter and my husband were in front of us. And they turned around and looked at us like, what are you doing? And we were like, you know, just like, <laughs> seriously, we were grooving. We were having so much fun. But it's just, it's just, a, they're good movies. And so when you say you worked on those, what does that mean? So um, when I first started out at DreamWorks, uh, my position was actually as a layout artist. So a layout artist is kind of akin to, if you think of a real movie set, it's the, the set design or set dresser and the camera operator. It, it's kind of both those positions uh, together in a more of a digital sense. So our final layout artist um, will um, take all of the digital props and build the set, you know, put put the set pieces together, you know, um, for example, in How to Train Your Dragon, um, Hiccup's room where he does all his like noodling with stuff, I would have had to place all of those pieces on the desk and all those things on the shelves. And like in the blacksmith shop, we put all this, the shields and the swords out, like all these things need to be placed like real set pieces. Um, and then when we're actually filming it, the animators are going to create the animation aspect of it. So they'll animate the character in the set and then we'll come back in with the cameras, uh, the digital cameras, if you will. And we will um, create like a bit of animation on those too. So maybe we have to follow the character or if even if it's a still camera, sometimes we add just a little bit of animation to look like someone's breathing behind it. Um, because the thing is that even though you can do whatever you want, obviously in a digital environment, it throws the audience off of the cameras in particular are doing something that they know a real camera, a real cinematic camera can't do. Um, so we actually do try to um, make sure that when we do a camera move, we, we think of it in terms of like, well, this is a dolly move or this is on a track or this is a handheld. And if right. we did it that way, like where's the pivot point if it's sitting on someone's shoulder? And, and these are the things that allow the audience to accept it as a cinematic experience instead of all of a sudden being kind of thrown for like one of these things where you're watching it and it's, the cameras are doing something insane and everyone's starting to get nauseous in the audience. So we're, we're, we're mindful of that when we uh -huh. do that sort of thing. Um, and I, we were chatting before about How to Train Your Dragon. How to Train Your Dragon was a very interesting kind of perfect storm scenario because the movie originally was actually a lot closer to the, the book series and we were they, the company was struggling with it um and this was around the time i got hired um the company was really struggling with it because as as just a verbatim screenplay based straight off the book it was not moving like we talk about our films like having the um you know moving along at a good clip good speed and that there's good action and, and things are moving along and the audience isn't getting bored and we weren't having enough good, exciting hits, if you will. Like there wasn't enough um, action going on for most of these things. Um, so they ended up, um, and the, in the original one, actually, if you remember in How to Train Your Dragon, there's this little green dragon, this terrible terror. That actually was toothless. That was our original toothless. That is why it has no teeth. It was the original toothless. And uh, Hiccup was actually a little bit younger. So when they decided to kind of go in another direction, they like to say when they move directors from one project to another they brought in chris sanders and dean dubois who um are uh originally worked over at disney uh chris sanders worked on stitch um on lilo and stitch so obviously you can see a great deal of aesthetic influence i love lilo and stitch i love it i love it why he looks like that um but uh we had a deadline we still had to deliver a film 
Um, so the film that you see, the How to Train Your Dragon film, was literally slapped together in about nine months. And wow. it was, you know, a weekend fest, overtime craziness and everything like that. But in a way, I think that it's it's a stronger film because we didn't really have a lot of opportunity to noodle with it and monkey around with it. Um, a lot of films that have these long production schedules, they get re-looked at and, and beta tested in front of audiences, different executive panels look at it. And while there's plenty of really good notes, a lot of times, you know, depending on what the notes are, it can really start muddying the waters and making it really difficult to put out a good cohesive vision. So in a way, we didn't have time to like second guess a lot of the stuff on How to Train Your Dragon, which I think is what made it such a nice, strong film in the end, because it was basically like, this is the idea and we just have to ram it through. So I love that. I love it. So for me, I know I've talked to you about this before on the podcast, but, you know, people might not have thought about it. When you sit down and and make one of these characters, I, I, I like I follow you on Facebook and I, 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 I do have I'm on your uh, website, but I see you on Facebook much more often. I love it when you will show the drawing, like your initial drawing of what you're doing. It's like it's like watching somebody actually creating a character for a movie like like How to Train Your Dragon or something. But you're doing it for crochet and knitting is like, what is your process? How does it work for you? Like, I. I I, I'm always just so amazed because I can't draw like horrible draw. I don't draw very well, but I love watching you and in your process. And how do you trans translate what you see on paper into this three dimensional thing? Sure. Um, well, I think, uh, well, the first thing we have to obviously I want to do is I, I go out there and I look for reference. So, I mean, before I put pencil to paper, I want to see what other people have been doing with, with whatever concept I want to do. And thank God for the internet. It makes it so easy <laughs> to go out there and really honestly, you can say like crochet anything and you're going to find at least somebody who's done it and posted a picture of it. Uh, it's not to, of course to say that I'm going out there to find designs to copy. That's not at all what the process is supposed to be. It's supposed to be you're going out there and seeing what works and what doesn't. And the reference could, Obviously, especially with the animal stuff, the reference always included real animal reference. Like I looked at animals um, when I did the crochet a zoo book, and you know, even though you were stylizing to the point where a lot of that isn't, you know, really um, applicable anymore, you know, the the point is that you there's underlying structure with animals and a certain amount of balance you want with certain features that you're really only going to be aware of it if you look at them, um, and that's just how our industry works in general, like the amount of reference that's used around here is huge. You do not have people that are just, you know, pulling stuff out of their heads. Um, for example, with our Trolls movie, we had this felted look to the whole film. The film was very fuzzy looking. And if you, if you visit the studio and you go up to our Trolls production pod, which is a floor of one of the buildings where all of our storyboard artists and our producers and our directors kind of hang out and work together to create the storylines, there is a rather large model of a completely felted like troll housing development uh it was you know drawn up by the art directors and whatnot based on some illustrations illustrators that they liked and then we commissioned somebody to actually come and build it out of wool it's felted wool and it's up there for modelers to look at and surfacing artists to look at and lighters to look at because it's super important that you know these things look right when we create a digital copy of it. And that's only gonna happen if you look at it. So for my process, um, you know, I, I treat everything the same way. You have to look at reference, you have to look at what's out there. Um, you have to look at what doesn't work. I mean, what doesn't work is actually almost as helpful as what does because in particular, what doesn't work often has to do with construction. 
So if I, if I want to create something and I want to do it in the round, but I, you know, and I find a version of it that was done flat and it's just, it's lacking the, you know, structure or, or a certain amount of weight or, or whatnot or appeal, I'll know not to do it that way. Or maybe it does work better in the flat or it's less complicated. So it's, it's you say you want to explore that first. Um, once you've kind of gotten a good sense of what your reference is or what you're going to be considering for your own design, when I draw it, I draw it to scale. So my drawings are all basically the same sizes as I want the finished pieces to be because they kind of serve as a blueprint to that point. Um, but I do bear in mind that, you know, and the nice thing about toys uh, is that you can kind of keep the shapes fairly simple. It's not necessary to crochet all the toes on. You can always just use a piece of yarn and cinch the toes on later um, and just make the piece a you know, teardrop shape or something. So even though the finished product looks complicated, there are ways to simplify it for the underlying structure and then add these extras at the end, um, which is something I try to encourage in my books because you know, you can you can get a cool look without having to, you know, try to bananas with lots of, you know, uh, height and width changes and short rows and God knows what else uh, to get basically the same effect that you could if you just ran the yarn through a few times and like cinched the whole thing. Um, so I have the, the drawings and the drawings are to scale. So as I'm building my pieces, I hold the pieces up to the drawing and sometimes you rip them out, but it's a toy and it's not that big a deal because it's, you know, 10 or 20 rows at most. So uh, I... I I would hesitate almost, I'd be nervous to actually do a garment just because garments are so big and so much time is spent in those things. I would be, you know, I'd get halfway through and ripping out 40 rows of a garment would just kill me. I'm not <laughs> that way. Um, but yeah, and then, and so you get your pieces together and, and it's rare. Um, I, I, and the planning is important also because I, I don't have the luxury of redoing pieces. Um, the Disney book was this rare exception where I was redoing samples and it wasn't even a structural or model issue because Disney's really particular about being on model with their stuff. And I, I totally understand that. So I get that. Um, but they didn't provide me with the color references I needed. So I was pulling references off the internet, like finding cells of animated films and trying to match the colors. But had I had the colors, I probably wouldn't have had to redo some of the pieces because they came back with me. Jiminy Cricket, I think I had to do him like three times because I'm like, well, this color's not right and so forth and so on. And so, <laughs> can I mean, can we just take a minute and appreciate the fact how lucky Disney is that they got in touch with you who <laughs> works at DreamWorks? And can we just pause for a second and how does that work? <laughs> like, how do you, did you have to get special permission? Like, because that seems a little... Hmm. <laughs> so, so, so licensed stuff. And that's, it's an interesting thing because I'm, I'm at a company basically that obviously has legal and licensing departments. I uh, have a newly minted lawyer husband at home, so I can ask him questions too about this stuff. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think actually also in going with like how you get a project with Disney, I know there's lots of stuff out there. Obviously people are mm -hmm. doing lots and lots of projects with Disney themes on Etsy, it's like all over Etsy, all over, I believe people do lots of stuff with these these properties. Writing it's inspired by is still copyright infringement. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. It's, legally, it is copyright infringement because you're not your characters, you're not supposed to be profiting off of them or using them to, you know, that's, that's like what I'm pretty sure the lawyer, lawyers in the legal departments would say. That's their stance. Big companies, it's, you know, a, time, a costly process and time-consuming process to start going after everybody that's infringing and people just doing a crochet pattern on Etsy and stuff like that. It's 
likely, more likely than not, that no one's going to come down on you. But, you know, at the same time, um, you know, it's one of those things where I've seen people, you know, kind of take commercial properties that are out there and they use them as kind of a crutch, if you will. So like, maybe you can't really draw really well, or maybe you don't really have uh, kind of a good appealing character you want to try to design, but there's plenty of reference out there for your favorite cartoon character. So you try to make that. And that's great. That's a, that's a really great way to kind of step into this um, and really kind of, you know, expand your abilities to, to design something. But I think there needs to be a point also where, you know, once you've gotten a, a feel for that, that you just have to start trying to make it your own. Um, Cause that's the step you really want to get to. You don't want to be just copying somebody's work. You really want to get to the point where you can kind of do your own thing. Um, and, you know, commercial properties are great for that. They're obviously these, these highly precision, well-developed, super appealing pieces of marketing geniusness. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, it, it, you want to be able to grow as an artist too and move on beyond that. So um, my, my encouragement with that is usually, you know, use it for reference, use it to practice, but like do your best also to kind of develop your own own look eventually. Cause you know, taking other people's work is, is, you know, it, it is always going to be somewhat fraught with some, some difficulties. It's never going to be clean cut. <laughs> right. I feel like ethically too, you have to kind of ask yourself, you know, yeah, this is great. You're doing this and, and kudos to you for be not you per se, but whoever for being able to recreate that. Cause I mean, that takes talent to do that, but if say it was it was Stitch and that was their character and all of a sudden everybody in the world was making a Stitch, you know that they would be irritated with it. Just because Stitch is owned by Disney, it's a big company, doesn't be like, oh, it's a big company. I, you know, they're not going to worry about it. You have to, you know, take it down to that level. It's it's their in, that's their property. And so I feel like ethically, you have to ask yourself. Should I be doing this? If this happened to me, how would that make me feel? And I mean, I just, I'm just like, you just, you just shouldn't do that. But for you, you got, you know, how great Disney asked you to do this for them. Yeah, it was funny. It was a very weird conversation. Because we have at DreamWorks, when you do projects for other companies, you have to go through, um, we have uh, like outside work agreements um, that we have to sign off on. So because any, any, any work that I do, as an employee of DreamWorks Animation belongs to them. Like my work is their work mm -hmm. um, and they have ownership. So if I do books or if I do crochet work or if I do really anything that I'm, um, you know, being contracted with someone else or stuff, um, if I'm not careful about making sure they sign off on that, like they could literally come back and say like, oh, you know, those crochet characters you made, like we own that because you made that while you were an employee for us. Um, so, you know, covering myself, is important obviously yeah. on this end but then obviously when disney comes and asks you to work on something that becomes a really funny conversation because you go there and like hey so <laughs> you want me to crochet some stuff and it's not going to be a conflict of interest because it's not like we're doing that sort of stuff here the funny i mean for me the funnier thing is that we have a publishing team and i've been trying to get them to do a dreamworks crochet or knit related thing. And that's been a lot harder, um, especially since we've had the changeover in management. We had, you know, Universal purchase us. Um, so a lot of those, a lot of those uh, employees are getting shifted around uh -huh. and stuff. So, but yeah, I've, I've done, I was telling the dreamers people like, I'm, I'm literally here. I can work on this stuff for you. Like if you want one of these kits, I'm happy to design it. Like, just let me know. But, yeah. Um, you know, but Disney's across the street from us. <laughs> 
It's a very funny thing. It's funny, actually, and it's not even Disney that will directly contact you for this. It's companies like uh, book producers like Becker and Mayer, for example, that own licensing rights. And in a way, it's really similar to production of a film. You have a book producer with the licensing rights, and they go out and they get, they put the pieces together. So they'll get the publisher, they'll get an author, they'll, you know, work out all of these things, and then everyone kind of gets flat fees. Um, so that's the one bummer about doing a big property like Disney is that you're not going to get royalties on something like that. Most likely you'll get a flat fee. If you're lucky and they're feeling generous, they'll make sure that your name stays on the kit because that can also, you know, that's negotiable. They don't always have to put your name on that stuff too. It'll yep. just be like, yep. and that's it. Um, so they were cool about that. They they kept my name on it and whatnot. But I, it's funny because it skews my, my book numbers on Amazon because I check, you know, check how my books are doing, especially around the holidays. And I'm like, oh yeah, like thousands of copies. Sold. And I was like, oh, it's Disney. Like, <laughs> that's hilarious. And then it's like all Disney. I'm like, eh. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. I love that you're doing all of that. And it, it it's just it's just super cool. I mean, it's very rare that um oh my tag is like out. It's very rare you get to talk to somebody in like a cool position like you have. And then um do you know Allison Hoffman? She makes uh Amagurumi people sort of stuff. Like she made the Conan O'Brien. I've seen it as I've Oh my gosh. She is so fun. When she was on the podcast, I was telling her about you. I'm like, you guys gotta meet. Um Anyways, that was a total just squirrel moment, but I just happened to think about it. I think maybe we should jump in about the book. I haven't even like talked about it. I could talk to you for hours about everything that you do. All right. So you've done these books. You're they're They're constantly successful. You're doing great. Martin Gale's like, yeah, let's have another one. Um, let's talk about the newest one out. Do you want to show them what it is and tell them like the idea behind it? I, I, at this point, I, I, I did the, I've done the three books with Martin Gale and I also contributed one of their knitting books. Um, and then at that point I started moving on. It's, it's kind of one of these, I think realities though, of when you, when you're first starting out, you're going to make mistakes as an author. So in a way, like I, I feel kind of, in a way I'm a little sad for Martin Gale because they basically had to kind of like deal with my growing pains, if you will. Cause by the time I started moving on to other publishers, I kind of had my act together at that point, but for poor Martin Gale, they had to, deal with, you know, the training wheels, uh, if you will, for me. Um, so when I moved on, I worked with Dover, and then I'm working with Springhouse Press right now. Uh, for Springhouse Press, um, my two latest books with them, I did uh, the Christmas book was last year's. Um, and this was actually meant to have about, I think, 50 patterns, and I developed about 50. And then I was telling them, I was like, geez, you know, I feel like it's going to be kind of a big book. If it's 50, maybe we should, like, split this up or something and do, like, 30 and 30 or something. And like at a 30 page book, I think it was like, yeah, it's like 129. Pages. Wow. That's huge. So I'm glad we split it, which means there'll be a second volume of this at some point. Um, but I was like, I was super excited to work with them in particular because I, I really liked their uh, photograph aesthetics. Uh, they were very cool about me sending them lots of pictures. Like I put up a whole Pinterest page of just the photo aesthetics of Christmas photography where everything had like, you know, vintagey wood looks and soft, you know, glowing yellow Christmas lights in the background. So they were very, very good about capturing that. Um, and again, you know, it was one of those situations where we had to redraw the whole how-to section again. Um, and they were, again, really good about it because I, I was encouraging them. I was like, look, you, you don't make me do these illustrations for you. If you guys do them, then you own the illustrations and then you can use them in my books. You can use them in anyone else's books. It gets super complicated if a company asks you to 
manage too many aspects of the how-to section because mm-hmm. if you become responsible for the photos, for example, can they use it in another book? And if they use it in another book, do you get credit for that or do you get a, a compensation for that? So it gets sticky in a way. And, you know, it, it was interesting with Dover. I, I did have to kind of push them to do a how-to section because they were kind of thinking that maybe that wasn't so necessary, but you just don't know who's going to pick up your book and you have to assume that there's going to be at least a few beginners that just really want to try it and really stick their necks out. And it's not fair to leave them twisting in the wind with patterns that they don't know what to do with because you didn't provide them with the most basics of how to. So I, and I, and I'm glad that Dover went and, you know, did photos and did a how to section as well for their books. Um, and the nice thing, of course, about Springhouse is that, you know, once we had it, we could just copy it to the next book. So the whole section I didn't have to write. Um, but this was my latest one. This one came out uh, right before Christmas. This was our construction vehicle book. And um, see here, but my kids are in the back. They're getting I bigger love- and bigger, depending on which book you have <laughs> of, of growth. So they're, they're, they're the biggest here, at least. Um, but this book... I want to say it was inspired by both my kids. Like, it's not fair to say like, oh, my son just loves vehicles. And I wanted to really do a book based on like what boys like, because my daughter likes vehicles too. So that's why I try to be good about the colors. I think there's at least one pink truck in here and you know, a green truck and a blue truck. And, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, we were just creating something that was just kid friendly. Um, and I think for me, that's, that's kind of what's the motivating, you know, inspiration besides really anything that I'm working on, like, let it be a movie or what it, you know, or whether I like a book. Um, it's, it's mostly about entertainment. You know, I, I, I love creating things that are going to entertain and inspire and, and provide kids with something that they can use for imaginative fodder, if you will. So if it's, if they watch one of our movies and they go and they, they play trolls with each other or how to train your dragons with each other, or, you know, somebody grabs one of the books and they make a few toys for their kids and then their kids can play with these and play together. Um, I think that's kind of what I, I really want to provide with these items, you know, these, these various things that I'm kind of working on uh, throughout the day. Um, but this one in particular, I, I was really excited with because uh, we're really trying very hard to keep them as soft toys. Uh-huh. I think there's a lot of trickiness in doing vehicles because you have all of a sudden a lot of very straight blocky shapes. And soft toys tend to, especially if you just stuff them straight with polyester fiber fill, they get really, really bulbous. And you lose a lot of that detailing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that was one thing that I really wanted to kind of nail down with this book. So there's a lot of use of like um, cushion foam and a lot of use of purse foam, which I discovered and is like amazing. Wait, wait, purse? Purse foam? purse foam? Purse foam. So this is the foam that people use to stabilize purses. It's like stabilizer foam. It's literally like less than a quarter inch thick uh-huh. because this, you know, when you think of like purses that have almost like quilting details and stuff, there's like a foam inside them. And that's what actually gives it its structure. There's rigidity in there, but it's soft versus like putting a plastic canvas in something, um, which I think most people tend to do if they want to have a, a crocheted structure or a knitting structure, they take a plastic canvas and they cut out a shape. And then you have this like sharp little piece of plastic canvas in your, your kid's toy with the purse foam. I was able to, you know, cut out the shapes I wanted. In particular, the the cement mixer is a really good example of that. The cement mixer um, has a drum on it, and the drum is open on the inside, and it spins. So it does everything you want your cement mixer drum uh-huh. to do. Uh huh. Uh huh. So it's it's open and it spins. Oh my gosh! So, but it, it it's going to hold that shape. Like we didn't pose it for the 
picture, which I think is what happens a lot of the time. This is actually the shape it holds if you use the purse foam. And you can see in the instructions that it's just a, a rectangle of purse foam and it's you basically cut darts into it to help kind of give it that shape. Uh -huh. And then when you sew the little um, the corners together to kind of close the darts, you get something that's shaped more like like this guy right down here. How cool. Where do you buy purse foam? I have never heard of that. Buy it online. If you, it, I think it comes up as stabilizer foam, but traditionally the most um, common use of it, the com most common application I saw was for purses. Um, but once I found it, I was like, I'm going to put this in all of the construction vehicle toys because I really wanted to be able to kind of maintain these square shapes or or the walls of you know a dump truck's uh, dumper or something. I wanted that to stay up, but I didn't want it to be. Uh, held up with the plastic canvas because I knew that was not going to be huggable. And that was, you know, you're losing the, the plushiness of your toy when you do that. So uh, I found that was actually like a really, really great way to kind of manage that. So now yeah, as, like, as you do more books, you kind of like pick up more tricks along the way. <laughs> oh my, I'm like, seriously, I'm like Amazon Googling it right now. Cause I'm like, I oh, yeah, box, which is also really great. So it comes in when it's dark. You can actually put that in there too. So a stabilizing foam. Stabilizing foam. All right, I'm seriously, I'm looking it up. So that way, I can give the link on. I'm I'm getting like pillows. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, well, it's great because the cushion foam. There's a polyester cushion foam, and it usually comes about an inch thick or so. But you can cut it out. You know, you cut a few squares and stack them, and then you can get a cube. And that works really well for like cube toys and stuff. I think I also use. This, I first used a stabilizer foam in a sixth and spring book uh -huh. where I did a, uh, uh, I did the, the castle set. So the castle set has the foam in it because otherwise if I had stuffed it with polyester, you probably wouldn't be able to stack them. They would just be too rounded uh -huh. and they would fall over. But with the, the stabilizer foam in there, um, not stabilizer, the, the cushion foam, uh, it, it kind of created the, the actual, like it gives you the shape. Yeah. And it's almost like now you're, now you're crocheted material or your knitted material almost serves as like a slip cover <laughs> oh my gosh yeah um, it's called well there's like a fusible foam stabilizer for purses i'm sorry this yeah. is you've like just totally rocked my world like i'm all what is this this is over i'm shopping now yeah i know right i'm seriously I'm like this is the coolest thing ever. I like you because I love crocheting purses and I do use the plastic canvas like when I need to do stuff and um, or I like to crochet felt purses because the felt gives it some stability. But this is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. I, I was so happy to find it because I used it all over the construction vehicle book and it was super helpful. So because as I said, it's it's so hard to hold up structures and I mean as I said the cement mixture is I think the best example because then basically after I created the the um the structure basically of the the drum the crocheted part basically serves as a sleeve it kind of slips inside and then it gets kind of folded over the top and pulled down so the purse foam then gets kind of uh, encapsulated in the in the in the in the uh, Super crochet cool. material and then basically you have something it's it's holding it up in the crochet materials again like a slip cover over it so I love it I love it. So what do your kids think about all of this? Like, first off, they must think you're the coolest person ever because I, I've seen the costumes and I've seen the cakes that you make for them. And they are like, they put me, I don't even attempt anymore. Cause I'm like, you just totally put everything to shame, but they must be like, my mom has the coolest job ever. I did. Uh, they like my job. I think they both, you know, there's, there's always, there's always ups and downs with this sort of stuff. There's time commitments, obviously to do any project. Um, 
you know, I think every every mom out there, regardless of what their career is or what their home life is, is always incredibly annoyed with the question of like, how do you find the time to do it? Oh. Honestly, it's like one of these things where you're like, well, you find the time and most likely you're really tired or something else is falling off your, your plate that you need to address. Like there's always something yes. that you're not addressing. Yes. Like my house is a disaster, for example. Like because it's, it's, <laughs> you just, you run out of time at the end of the day. You're only 24 hours you need to sleep on some of them. Yeah. Um, but it's always those, you know, for, for my kids in particular, you know, I, I try my best to uh, encourage them to try out the stuff that seems to interest them. So like if, you know, we'll watch uh, How to Cake It videos with Yolanda Gump. She's fabulous, and we've been watching her on Tuesdays. And my kids really love that because when it gets to the point where we can, you know, get to their birthday cakes, they feel like they have maybe a little more ownership over those those types of projects because they can talk to me about it, and we can all kind of work out these cool things together. So even my son has started trying to learn how to crochet himself. Um, it, it, as I said, it, it's, it's only fun for the kids if they feel like it's something they can incorporate into their own lives, if they just watch mom doing it all the time, it's just something that mom does that takes time away from them. Yeah. Um, so if whenever we can kind of work, a, you know, if I can work the kids into the projects, like I'll ask them like, what sort of toys would you like to see? Or like, what color should I make this? Or, you know, how would you design this? Or, you know, I try my best to like ask them for their opinions. Cause honestly, they're kind of the, the recipients <laughs> of these types of toys in the end. And I mean, really? they were, more or less like my inspiration for starting these books anyway, because I think there's always been this feeling that there's always too much stuff people are purchased for their kids at stores. And, you know, when you create something for a child, when you make a garment or you make a toy and stuff, it's not just the garment and toy, it's the time you've put into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, that's that beautiful special aspect of a unique item that's been handcrafted for you is is that it's it's not something you can buy in the store and you know that it took somebody a few hours to make it. And, you know, for everybody, I think right now time is so precious. So yeah. um, I think it adds this beautiful value to a toy that makes it that much more, um, you know, it's more satisfying when you watch a kid play with something like that and they get some enjoyment out of, you know, doing something imaginative with it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Back, you know, so they have to they have to use their, their imaginations that they play with any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to have you answer a couple of questions that we have in the live chat. But before we do that, um, I am going to say right now that we do have one prize to give away live on air. So if you're listening to this podcast live right now, you have a chance to win. All I need you to do is in the comments of this video, I need you to type, I want to win. And once um, I, I tell Brittany to randomly select a winner, she'll randomly select one of you who typed in, I want to win. And you will win, whoever the randomly selected winner is, you will win a copy of Megan's book, Construction Vehicles to Crochet. Um, so that's what you have a chance to win. So put it in now. We I will choose it here in just a couple minutes. So you have to put it in now. I want to win. Um, if you're not watching this live, don't worry. There's going to be a chance for you to win here in a minute as well. But while everybody live is doing that, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, Megan, that we had. Um, one isn't a question. It was a statement by Missy. She says that mom guilt is universal, the, no matter what you're doing, whether it's 
a job outside of the home or inside the home, you know, the time that you have to spare, uh, you know, you never know where you're grabbing it from. When people say, where do you find the time? I often will tell them, well, obviously I'm stealing it from other areas of my life. And that's, I mean, that's the hard part is, you know, just what you said, my house will be an absolute disaster and you can tell I'm on deadline. Cause I'm like, I do not have the time to run around after all of you and pick it up. Like, I just don't, I have to do, I have to do this. You know, it's, I mean, you have to steal it from other areas of your life. So I totally get that. Um, Jennifer Purdy says that she would love to have an Amagurumi toothless. Is there a pattern available? Um, it kills me. Yes. I actually do have a pattern written out because they, they had at one point said like, we're going to do a crocheted dragons series like how to crochet your dragon I'm like it's awesome I will totally do that and I made the pattern and as I said like the publishing our publishing group is kind of like ground to a halt if you will so like I'm stuck with it and I can't release it unless I get permission so I I do have one um but I I can't release it I know there are other ones out there so you know it's not as if it's impossible to find one um but he but the one that I did it sits on my desk <laughs> And actually, uh, there is a second one of it. Um, Nick Mar uh, Nico Marlette, who actually did all the design work, he designed our dragons. He's one of our most amazing artists here. Um, we did this little like um, uh, book fair type thing, and I had all my crochet books out, and he came by, and I had the toothless sitting there. He's like, um, "I like that. I want. I want one." And I was like, "Well, I, I can't sell this. This is you know my my only sample." And he's like, "Well, I'll can I trade you for?" So I was like, "He's like, I'll draw you something." I'm like, "I will." Oh, yeah. With basically our, our top art director, he gave me this amazing drawing of like Gabra riding a Gronkle. Oh. <laughs> like, screw Shane, this thing. I was like, oh man, I am like totally getting the better end of the scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like by the end of the weekend and stuff, but that was definitely my best, my best barter, my best trade. So that was the only other toothless that I've ever created. As I said, I, you know, I, I have one. I am, I am, follow, I follow up every once in a while. So I'm hoping at some point I'll be able to do something with it. But until that happens, like my hands are kind of tied because, you know, obviously copyright infringement that happens outside of the company right. is one thing, but like having someone in the company. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Sorry, boss. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought it was cool. Um, said it was fine <laughs> yeah all right so we have emily she is requesting an incredibles in crochet so if you have any pull with disney you know try and get the incredibles book well you know it's it's interesting so the folks that own the licensing rights like becker and mayer for example if there are i think if there's interest um that information probably should could be sent to them because they're the ones that home you know work with the, the licensee you know, agreements and they're the ones who can basically decide like what properties they want to get greenlit. So, you know, my feeling on that is if you, if you really like an idea and you really would like to see a kit, the best person to go to is the licensee or the book producers that own the licensee rights and say like, Hey, you know, I would totally buy this. And if you have a whole bunch of friends that say, I will totally buy this, they might actually, you know, start considering it. Um, because again, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, at the end of the day, this is a business. And these are business propositions and as wonderful as it would be to have certain patterns, you know, they always need to look at the profitability of it. So, you know, and I think a profitability has that, you know, aspect of, well, is there a market for it? So, you know, if you're telling people that you want to buy it, at least maybe they'll consider it. So I would send those requests to them. Fantastic. <laughs> I think that's good. Um, 
let's see here. I'm trying to scroll now. Every, I'm to the part where everybody says, I want to win. I want to win because everybody wants to win a copy of your book. So on that topic, um, for the construction book, which they are leaving that comment, I want to win. If I were to ask you what your favorite design from that book, or the, maybe it's one of the most fun ones you did or whatever you, it is, tell me what it is. And then if you could show it on camera so people can see, that'd be great. Let's see. Um, I I don't know. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> you know, it, it's okay. I think I would say in terms of the ones I liked, I really liked the crane because the crane, uh, the crane has a uh, hook on it that uh, there's two loops at the top, so you can actually pull. Oh, how cool! Up and down, so it actually goes up and down. I think the only drawback to this is that this arm is quite heavy. Uh huh. So. Floppy. <laughs> I mean, there's a limit to like what purse foam and, and cushion foam can hold up. Um, I mean, really any place where I was finding opportunities to make the parts move, uh-huh. like really kind of like made me very happy. Like the steamroller has got this super, super chunky roller on and that spins. Um, oh, and then the. Um, I love that. That is so cool. And then the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The um, forklift. That goes up and down. That is so cool. Yeah. So I was just having a lot of fun just trying to work out how to do it. So the forklift has this um, piece that comes down like this uh-huh. and wraps around the back. So it lets the, you know, it lets the, um, it lets the little forks go up and down. That is so cool. I mean, what's neat about that is this is not only just good for kids, but like maybe somebody has a, a like their husband or brother or boyfriend works or girlfriend. I mean, whatever works in the construction industry. Like this is one of those cool things that you could make something for them also. Um, one of the things that popped in my head. So, you know, there's always that restriction of, okay, for babies, you want to make sure you don't have little parts and stuff. Is there a, an age limit on your items? Um, you know, for the for the toys, there's only really um, so anything that has eyes, for example, there is a warning, at least in all of my books that I try to include the same like don't don't use the safety eyes if it's a kid that's less than three. Yeah, um, if three and under use French knots, just do something that it's going to be like well secured onto there because you don't want them pulling any of the parts off. Obviously, you know, with any of these books, there's always the, the uh, um, possibility of a small part if you if you're you know doing something very small in detail or you're using very thin yarn and you haven't sewn it on very well you know these are the things that you just have to make sure you're really um, taking ca- uh, care of I'd honestly say the construction vehicles are probably maybe even more baby safe than a lot of the other ones uh, simply because there aren't a lot of really small pieces like everything has to be sewed on there's really no plastic bits on there and because we're using things like purse foams and, and, or stabilizer foams and, and cushion foams, there's not going to be any sort of weird plasticky canvas issues underneath either. So the whole thing is soft. Okay. Um, so they're pretty, they're pretty baby safe actually. That is so cool. Um, yeah. And I did try to make sure that, um, and I was pretty, you know, I, because in, in just being in an industry where there's, there is a lot of gender imbalance in our, even our movies, um, there there's always tends to be more males even in our crowds and our and our main characters when i write my books i really try very hard if there are any sort of you know characters and stuff like even my creepy crawly crochet but i tried really hard to make sure that i was switching boy girl boy girl boy girl when i was going through that and even the construction vehicle book i tried really hard to make sure if i said for man i said for woman as well so just making sure that you know i i want to make sure that my daughter knows that these books are for her as much as they are for my son I love that. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I think that that's, that's special. Um, 
All right. So if, if you have water there, take a drink. You've been talking a lot, which is a good thing. We want you to talk a lot. Um, Brittany, I'm going to have you choose a winner. Brittany, for those of you who don't know, she is one of my social media specialists and she is the moderator in the YouTube chat room. So she has been making sure that everything is good and kosher there as we are having this lovely discussion. And she is going to select a winner that has commented, I want to win. And oh, there it is. Denise W. Denise W., you are the lucky winner. Uh, Denise, what I need you to do is email me at, and it's winner at yarnthingpodcast.com. Winner at yarnthingpodcast.com. And I will need your mailing address, phone number, all that information. So that way I can send it off to Megan and we can get you um, a book right away. So congratulations, Denise W. Now, having said that, uh, I did mention there are two ways to win here on the podcast. And that was the first one. So it's always beneficial for those of you who are able to join me live. And if you want to make sure that you're aware whenever I go live here on YouTube, make sure you have hit subscribe on the Marley Tur- Marley Bird YouTube channel, and you have hit that little um, notification button. It's a bell right next to the subscribe. And when you hit that, that will let you know whenever I go live on air, it'll let you know immediately. And it could be like, oh, it's podcast time. I'm going to sit here and eat my lunch and watch the podcast. Uh, So make sure you do that. But if you're not able to watch live, I totally understand life gets in the way. We're always borrowing time from here and there, right? Uh, I want you to have a chance to win as well. So we are blessed enough that guests on the show give away two prizes. One to a live winner and one to somebody who leaves a comment on the show notes after the podcast. The show notes are always available at marleybird.com. When you go to marleybird.com, there's a drop down menu that actually says podcast and you can see where it says show notes. You can click on that and find the show notes for whatever show you are watching or listening to. When you click on that, you find the show notes for that particular show. So for example, today would be Megan Kreiner. You'd go to that and Right there on the show notes, you'll find a brief synopsis of things we might have talked about, maybe some links or images or anything like that. At the very bottom of the show notes, you have to scroll all the way down if you're on mobile, you know, scroll down if you're on desktop, you'll see where it says comment. And that's where you will actually leave a comment that includes a keyword that Megan's going to give us here in a minute. You must include that keyword because that's sort of like your golden ticket. That's your proof that you've watched the show or listened to the show. Okay. So for example, several weeks ago, we had the lovely Heidi May on the podcast. Absolutely love her. She does really great crochet work. I mean, you guys, if you don't know who she is, I I guarantee you, you have seen some of her items out there. You just don't know that it's her. Um, And so when she was on the show, she was giving away a pattern package, three patterns uh, to somebody who left a comment and used the keyword inspire. So the lucky winner from that show is Kim Landy. Kim's comment was, Whoops. I am so inspired by Heidi. Her story about how she started has started my wheels spinning about how to jump into designing. I'm so grateful that Marley brings on interesting people to chat with. Well, Kim Landy, congratulations. I'm so grateful that you enjoyed the podcast and you are the lucky winner of three patterns from Heidi May. So that's how easy it is, you guys. You go, you leave your comment on the show notes for the podcast you watched or listened to, and then you sit back and kind of wait. We ran, we choose a random winner from those comments on the show notes. I'm going to say that again because it's very important. You must leave your comment on the show notes at marleybird.com in order for them to be random, for it to be randomly selected, okay? 
then we will choose a winner about two to three weeks after the original air date of the podcast. I can't give you a specific date because my travel schedule is all over the place. And sometimes we have to skip a week or two before we do another show. And so that would, you know, offset some of the time that you might have to wait between shows. But when in doubt, just go leave a comment. Let me know you enjoyed the show. You never know if you're going to be randomly selected as the winner. When we select the winner, we'll announce it on the podcast, email you and get your information to send you the prize. It's really not that difficult. Leave a comment on the show notes, include the keyword, sit back and relax and enjoy other shows. Pretty simple, right? Um, Okay, so Megan, I'm going to ask you, where do they need to leave their comment? Oh, uh, and you need to leave it in the the show comments, right? In the show notes, yes, over at marleybird.com. That's not to say we don't love your comments here on YouTube. We love your comments here on YouTube. I love it when you smash that like button. But if you want a chance to win, you have to leave your comment on the show notes. And they have to include a keyword. And Megan, what's going to be their keyword? Hmm. Well, I think I'll make it interesting for them. So my keyword is dragon. Dragon. I love it. Um, I think that's great. So make sure you include your keyword dragon when you leave your comment on the show notes at marleybird.com and you will be entered for a chance to win Megan's other book, Christmas Ornaments to Crochet. And so you're uh, entering for a chance to win that book as well. Um, pretty cool. And thank you, Megan, for offering those prizes to the lovely listeners. it's so much fun so um we've given away a prize we've told people how they can win a prize we've learned about your awesome job your great story your awesome books you're working on how to train your dragon three do you have more books in the works also I do. I have uh, three kits in the works right now with uh, the bookshop LTD, but I, I've been sworn to secrecy on those. So unfortunately, I cannot talk about those. But I was also chatting with Springhouse Press, and I, I'm hoping that there might be a knitting book finally in the works. Oh, um, cool. Yay, finally. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely have a, a quite a few more going up there. The, um, the new kits are going to be really similar in kind of formatting to the, the Disney ones, but there'll be uh, designs that I've actually done. So that's, those are kind of fun. That's awesome. And then for everybody who wants to follow you on social media or follow as you know, your, your design world, uh, where would they find you on? I mean, are you on Instagram? I know you're on Facebook and your blog and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's basically all MK crochet basically across the board on Instagram and on um, on Pinterest and and Twitter and uh, Facebook. But Facebook's really the place I'm most active because that's about the easiest thing I can update on a, on more of a daily basis. It's all about you know just finding the time to do stuff. So yeah, yeah, Facebook. If you need to get a hold of me or ask questions or stuff, um, Facebook's really great. And then I have also a contact form through my uh, my website mkcrochet.com. So. Either of those places are great, you know, to get a hold of me if you got questions about any of the patterns, really. I think it's so great. And, you know, I, I seriously, I love having you on the podcast. I wish I lived closer or got to hang out with you more because I just, I just, just think you're just fantastic. I think you're absolutely fantastic. <laughs> No, this was so much fun. I hope that we get to do this really soon again. It would be great. And I know that you are jet lagged a little bit. You're at VK Live this last weekend and you're at work and got to do all that good stuff. But thank you so much for joining me on the show and taking time out of your day to join me over here. I really do appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. All right. So I'm going to say thank you to all of you joining me today on the Marley Bird YouTube channel for the Yarn Thing podcast with Marley Bird. Once again, we do this show every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And you can check out uh, what time that is for you. Or once again, hit subscribe. Make sure you click that notification button and you will know immediately when I go live on air. Let's say thank you to our sponsors one more time. Erin Lane Bags, Craftsy.com. 
Creativebug.com, Creativebug, Stitches.Events, Buffalo Wool Company, and last but not least, Red Heart Yarns, where I'm the proud national spokesperson. I will talk to you guys next Tuesday when we, I think it's next Tuesday, let me make sure. Uh, yes, next Tuesday, I'm on the air. <laughs> and uh, uh, until then, I will be putting out some videos this week, so make sure you check out the knitting and crochet videos right here on the Marley Bird YouTube channel. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Don't forget to smash that like button. Bye, guys.